this, um, this morning is a day in the church calendar, and, and, it's, and it's a day that uh, follows in a, in a weekend of celebrating similar things in different parts of the world. And, and uh, in the Christian calendar, it's called All Saints Day. And as Stacy talked about earlier, it's a day where we take time to remember, to think about, uh, to venerate even the saints of old, uh, the Christians that came uh, before us and the Christians around the world. And in the sort of formation of the day, it was first established uh, in order to recognize and memorialize Christians who were killed in large numbers during the, uh, during the first couple of centuries where Christianity really took hold in, in the Western world. And, and there were Christians who were, who were uh, killed, they were martyrs, they were um, eaten by animals, they were burned at the stake, all because of the Jesus that we believe in and proclaim. And this morning, as we, as we talk about the saints and we talk about this passage, what I want us to be thinking about and to be prayerful of is exactly what is a, what is a saint and how can that understanding begin to change or transform or encourage our faith today? So that's what we're going to be kind of talking about and looking at is, is what is what is a saint? So what is a saint? What does a saint look like? What does a saint do? What does a saint believe? And um, so I want to start with what do you think? What do you think of when you think of the word saint? Do you see like an icon in your mind, somebody with a golden, a golden halo before them and a very sort of... Um, uh, non-exciting pose, a very static pose? Do you think of um, a just somebody fixed up on a ceiling way high above you, looking down on you, that's way beyond your grasp or your reach? Do you think of people like Mother Teresa or uh, Martin Luther King Jr., St. Augustine, people like that? I do. I, that's one of the things I think about when I think about a saint. And those people and those images feel really unattainable and very far away from me. I feel very distant from what their lives sort of looked like and memorialized like, or even the, even the Christians of old that, you know, they stood up to the empire and they lost their lives, you know, uh, for the sake of believing in Jesus. It, it feels a little bit removed for me. Or maybe you think of a saint more like a certain type of politician that you really like or um, an actress or an actor, some like benevolent, you know, powerful person that has a lot of influence, like maybe Matthew McConaughey, who just wrote a book that Matt's reading right now, audibly in his own voice. All right, all right. You know, all that. Or maybe like Oprah or, or Ellen. No, not Ellen anymore. No, but used to be uh, LeBron James, maybe. Right. Um, in both of these sort of categories of examples, um, you've got people that are somewhat kind of unattainable for us, for us normal folks to think about if we were to try to identify with them. You've either got like these, these wealthy, powerful, but sort of benevolent, nice people, or these kind of like self-denying superhumans. Um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe one day I'll, 
I'll be wealthy and powerful and I can be kind to all of you small, normal, regular people. Or maybe, maybe one day I'll, I'll be so self-denying and so full of toxic shame I can imagine myself as some, some superhuman person who only thinks about other people and somehow doesn't become extremely unhealthy and, and corrupted. Or maybe that's not what a saint really is, those images in our mind. Uh, maybe a saint is a different category altogether. Maybe a saint is more somebody who recognizes the deeper calling of humanity, of what it means to be human. Stacy said that earlier as well. Um, somebody that knows what it means to follow the cruciform life or the, the cross-shaped life. So there's, there's an idea in humanity that was challenged by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that idea is around power and what we do with power. A saint is somebody, I want you guys to hear this part. This is, this is a definition of sorts of a saint. But a saint is somebody who avoids replacing a love of power with the power of love. A saint is somebody who avoids replacing a love of power with the power of love. This, this type of person is able to embody the same message and the same type of life that Jesus lived in which he conquered that idea that power is what we should love and respect and venerate. And that is where we should decide where right and wrong and morals come from. And that's still the case often today. But he conquered that idea as someone who had all power and all authority and instead found himself dying in order to convince us of the opposite being true, that it's love, that it's love that actually has the power to conquer. And in many ways, and through the lives of the saints, we see that this has succeeded, that the kingdom of heaven has been growing and making, being made more manifest on earth. So the idea that might makes right is really popular in human idea and human terms. But slowly, as we recited earlier, these Beatitudes from Matthew 5, these ideas about the blessings of those who are poor, of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, have been creeping into the human world in increasing numbers. We have more initiatives and thoughts and arguments about human rights than we ever have before in human history right now. This is a result of the life and the death of Jesus and the saints that came before, of convincing through their very deaths, instead of might making right, that actually a love that was willing to lay its own life down could actually conquer could actually decide what is good and what is right and what is noble. And I know this is um, not an easy thing for us to wrap our, our minds around, and it's why so often we settle for things less than this. So, to put it plainly, saints reject the idea that violence can bring about peace, that 
that forcing and coercion can bring about equality. Saints reject that. That's what saints do. And this is a lonely position to hold because it's a position where you are putting yourself, as you follow Jesus, in opposition to much of what humanity still holds in in terms of power and the structure of power when you choose to move on this path. I mean, just think about um, the protests against like the Vietnam War in the United States. I mean, people lost their lives in those protests. People were were beaten and killed. And um, the, the, the Black Lives Matter protests today, um, that that peaceful opposition to this idea of power and coercion is often met by violence and force. This is lonely. Um, there's, uh, there's a couple of, of uh, writers that I really like. One, one guy's name's Cornel West. He's a theologian and professor still living today. And I, I really appreciated his definition in an interview that he gave about the life of another writer named James Baldwin. He, he gave a definition of a saint, and he was, he was saying this. He was talking about Baldwin and, and how Baldwin was, a, in, in a sense, a saint. And he said, if you define a saint as a sinner who looks at the world through the lens of the heart, then Baldwin's a saint. He was heartbroken. America broke his heart day in and day out. A saint is somebody who looks at the positions of power in the world of coercion, of the ways of forcing people to be and do certain things as heartbreaking. Not the way things just should be or need to be, but are heartbreaking. It's somebody who has faith in something bigger, in something more inclusive, more loving. And you're a saint. You are a saint. Even if you don't right now believe that you are a saint because what's true of you is that Jesus lived the life he did and conquered the idea of power makes right that might makes right by love that led into a sacrificial death he did that for you to clothe you in a new identity in a new way of operating in the world and you're a saint because of it. So this isn't something that you have to achieve or strive for. It's not a ladder that you have to put yourself on where if maybe you're successful as LeBron James or you're as self-denying as Mother Teresa that you could be a saint, but you just simply are a saint because of who and what Jesus is. And our calling, our task in life as people who call ourselves Christians is to find out what this looks like for us. Another one of the lectionary readings for this day, for All Saints Day, comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 3. And I want to read one verse in it to you that exemplifies this idea. It says in 1 John 3, chapter 2, Dear friends, we are now, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, For we shall see him as he is. This is a task that we are embarking upon as saints. 
following after the life of Jesus, that we are looking to see what we might yet become and looking steadily at who Jesus is so that as he appears to us, we can find out more about who we are. The saint is not an unattainable, lofty idea of someone who prays four hours a day and never takes into account their own needs or lavishes the world with extra resources and money. It is simply someone who is still finding out who they are in light of who they are learning about who Jesus is. This again, is a difficult thing to grapple with because our world wants to separate things into categories of good and bad. And I'm cognizant that this is the last weekend that we have before the election and which dichotomies about who's right and who's wrong is in these stalwart categories. And there is no real conversation between the two sides. And this is normal. When we listen to the radio, sometimes my son Benjamin, he'll ask me, is that a good person or a bad person talking right now? Because depending on who's talking, he'll hear me making side comments or saying different things about whoever it is that's on, on, on the radio and things like that. And I have to explain to him, I have to say now, Benjamin, listen, um, I know, you know, on Mario, there's good guys and bad guys. There's Mario and there's Bowser. Uh, could somebody grab those for me? Uh, but when it comes to people, um, there's simply people that do things that are harmful sometimes, and that's all of us, and people who do things that are good sometimes, but also harmful things. That, that it, it, There's no really way to easily divide up people between good and bad. And so when we think about saints, we obviously think, well, a saint's a good person. And maybe I don't feel like a good person right now. But what I want to do is I want to take a moment to just paint a picture of the two of the ways that we operate in the world, in our, in our um, context as uh, citizens of the United States. And I want to paint these clearly as I can in just broad strokes and say, you know, here's the two categories, and here's why the life of a saint can't fit in either one of these categories. And presently, right now, each of these categories are calling each other evil and saying that they themselves are good. Are you with me? Do you follow me, right, what I'm saying right now? Two categories. One says the other is bad, and neither one of them does the life of a saint fit into. And then we'll talk about, well, what do we do then if we don't fit into that? If you're saying I'm a saint, and some of y'all don't believe that right now. Some of you sitting on the couch right now, you don't believe you're a saint, but you are. So the first, you'll recognize these as soon as I start to talk about them. The first is this idea that um, is very much about the individual and individualism and lifting yourself up by your bootstraps. It's the idea that... Um, if you have money and wealth, then you must have worked hard and therefore you deserve it. It's almost this idea of karma, of material karma. So if you, if you work hard, if you study hard in school, then you end up with good things. And that's sort of like the American dream that we've all kind of been given uh, and that's been handed to us. 
And it's this idea that we can all prosper if we only work hard enough. It sounds great at first, except for the fact that if you inverse that, then it means if you're poor, if you're needy, if you're without, if you don't have power, then you must be lazy consequentially, right? We know that one, don't we? This is typically the one that the more conservative political base and ideology and even theology rallies around this. And then the other idea that's equally as important to talk about, about how it's not the way of Christ, it's not the task of a saint to embody, is the more collective idea that is more synonymous or closely aligned with democratic or liberal mindset. And it's the idea of equality, that everyone should be lifted up, everyone should have equal rights and opportunities, and this is enforced through a governmental structure. So it's um, more federal oversight and things like that. The individualist structure is governed by the individual power of the, uh, or the power of the individual who has achieved that power, because if they achieved it, then they must be very virtuous and moral to have gotten all of that stuff. So the problem with both of these systems and why it doesn't fit the task of a saint is that they both worship power in order to achieve their results. It's good for people to have autonomy and be able to make their own decisions and to be able to um, exercise their will and even compete with ideas. That's part of the idea of the American dream. And of course, it's good for people to have equal rights. In fact, I wouldn't be able to stand here in front of you all if there hadn't been laws and things passed in order to make that a reality. But what differentiates the task in the life of a saint is what these two systems of thought, these two ways of living, rely on. They rely on a worship of power that has material interest and a fear of death and limited resources at its core. So, so the idea is that if individuals get enough power through their virtuous, hardworking activity, they have the right to sort of rule over and decide what happens in this world. It's sort of a, the capitalistic system at play there. And if they have lots of wealth and resources, somehow that's attached to their morality in a good way. And so we extol that in our, in our uh, country and we raise it up and we lift it up as something good. And then there's a counter to that that's more socialistic in its idea that says, no, we need people to have equality, equal opportunities. But the only way to do that is to give lots of power to a few people to enforce that. And so we find ourselves being told we must choose either one of these systems. We're forcing, we are being forced into a dualistic mindset battling against each other. And I want you to hear this. I think those of you that know me know this, but for anybody who doesn't, I'm not saying don't vote. I early voted last week. I'm not saying that you shouldn't find out what you should vote for and that your conscience should be as clear as it can be in who and what you vote for. But what I'm saying is that for the saint, for the life of the saint, their task 
cannot be found in these reductive systems of humanity. These two sort of problems. Oh, I heard an amen. Okay, somebody's with me. All right, I'm not alone this morning. Somebody else, okay, all right. So a few people didn't miss their amen moment. So the saint has the power to reject the duality of these systems. And the saint does it by hearing the same things that the world does, but by seeing a different reality. And this brings us to the text of Revelation this morning. I bet some of y'all thought I was trying to preach the whole sermon without having to talk from Revelation this morning. But I actually find it to be an incredibly interesting book. And there, but there's just a whole lot to unpack there from some really stubbornly bad theology that's existed pretty much just in the United States and just for the past 50 to 100 years that most of us have all entangled in our minds. And I'm not going into all that this morning. So. In the passage we just read, it starts from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and the first words say, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So at this point... The writer, uh, a man named John, is seeing something. But if we back up a few verses, before that, he's hearing something. And this is a theme in the book of Revelation, that the person receiving these visions and seeing this vision uh, is hearing things and then seeing things. And what he hears doesn't always match what he sees. He often hears one thing but sees another. And there's a nugget for us in here as tasks uh, as the task of a saint, as you all are. So listen to this, starting in verse 4 of the same chapter, chapter 11. This is what he hears. He says, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. So those verses talk about what he heard about in this vision. And what he heard about was the original people of God from the scriptures and each tribe represented in a symbolic 12,000 number that equaled a 144,000 number. And if you were a Jewish listener who had now professed Jesus as Lord and Savior, you would have recognized these words. You would have uh, related them to the book of Numbers in which Moses is taking a census of the 12 tribes and he's doing it for the purpose of fighting, uh, finding fighting men because they're about to go and violently conquer another group of people. And so this census was from the 12 tribes, and it was moving forward in order to do that. And this was one group of people, basically one ethnic group from one part of the world, rallied under one idea of who God was, but also who they were. And this is an idea that almost anyone in humanity can relate to. My tribe, my people, and we're going to war against the people who are not like us. And we're going to defeat them, and God's on our side, and we're going to get it done, and we, we win, good things will happen in the world, right? Is there any group of people that doesn't have that as a part of their narrative somewhere along the way? But the interesting thing, so this is what the, the reader heard. 
But then when he looked to see what this looked like, when he looked to see the tribes of Judah, what instead did he see? What did he see? What kind of people? He saw everybody, everybody in the whole world. He saw people of all different tribes and tongues and nations, all different colors, all different sizes from everywhere. That's who he saw. And were they holding spears and swords and AK-47s? No. What they had in their hand was a palm branch in a white robe. It was the army of God. It was the way in which Jesus would conquer this world. So this is not a symbol of war, not at all. This is a symbol of a group of saints from around the world, a collective group of people who are convinced, who have been conquered, not through coercion and violence and a perfect system of government where nobody was ever corrupt in power, but they were conquered by the idea of a self-sacrificing love. This cannot fit into one of our dualistic categories. There is no us and them. If there had been, Jesus would not have died on the cross. He would have done what the Jewish people expected him to do, which is what every other Messiah, every other leader had ever done, which was conquer and subdue. And he conquered and subdued, but by love. And unfortunately, for all the suffering in the world, that takes a lot more time. And so even in these same chapter, in these same chapters, uh, Jesus, when the when the writers asking like the or the the saints that were martyred asking how much longer, O Lord, he's saying, be patient a little bit longer. And he's saying that because he knows that love takes time. It's like it's like the 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 yeast in the dough that Jesus talks about in the Gospels, that it's a tiny little amount, but it slowly will spread through the whole lump of dough. This is what's happening. It's like the seed that has to go into the ground and die before it can produce a tree that the birds of the air can rest in and find shelter and find shade. This is in Revelation 5 as well. This, this idea of hearing something and seeing something else. This is the task of a saint, is to hear the things that the world is putting out, but to be able to see something different. When the world says it's us versus them, the saint's job is to steadily look inward and to steadily look at the Christ and see if they can begin to see something different. This is the task of a saint that's never finished. And so in Revelation 5, verse 5, it's, he, he um, hears this said to, them, said to him, the writer does. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Those symbols, the lion, the lion is a violent, powerful beast and is from the tribe of Judah. Again, the tribal language that is so prominent and prevalent and that so many use in the service of the us versus them, the scriptures. And the root of David, again, the tribe of the the Jewish people uh, exemplified in David, the first uh, or the, the, the first uh, king other than Saul, who we don't like to talk about. Um, but then it says in verse 6, then I saw a lamb. So he hears about this lion. He hears about the lion of Judah 
coming. And then he looks and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So this ta- this, the task of the saint is to hear about this lion of Judah, but to see the slain lamb, the one who conquers through love, the one who says, I will not retaliate in the same violence that you say will bring peace, but I will find a self-sacrificial love. This is the Beatitudes, right? This is the reversal of who is blessed in the world. So to hear about who's in charge and what Caesar will do and who you should hate and who you should love, but to see the throngs of humanity, every tribe and every nation, and they are yours, they belong to you, they are the saints, they are your people, and we are together going to be worshiping the same God, holding a symbol of peace and victory, the palm branch. This is how the Lamb overcomes the world. It is not, oh, when Jerusalem gets moved over here and you see the spotted calf somewhere showing up in the newspaper and you put all these little puzzle pieces together that people try to put the book of Revelation into, it turns it turns God into a little boy or a little girl with a password combination to get into the treehouse. That's a petty, small God. I don't worship a God who's only concerned with people who know the right passwords and can recognize when an evil person does something good and that somehow unlocks a chain of events like that old game mousetrap, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, and the rapture happens. That's a very small, petty God. I said I wasn't going to get in the revelation, but it looks like I'm getting in there a little bit with some of that stuff. I want to repeat to you this part of this verse from from John, 1 John 3 that I read. What we will be is not yet revealed, but what we will be like, but we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We're in the process as saints in the task of waiting, of looking to see something than what we hear. Most scriptures, as I just kind of ranted on, are just used to justify one of these preferred sources of power. And you can do it. But the writer of Revelation and other writers in the scriptures are challenging this idea right before our eyes. Our task is to be able to see it as saints, as those conquered by love. This is no more practical than it was for the people this day was named after. I mean, for God's sake, they were eaten by lions. So the the folks and the theologians and the politicians that say, this is not practical to live this way. It's not practical to embody the Beatitudes or to see them as something that God blesses, to see a reversal of the systems of power. It never was practical to people who can only see us and them. So, Our task as we move forward into this next week in this election cycle that will bring all kinds of trauma and trouble to our world, most likely, I don't want to, I'm not making a prediction, I'm just saying probably is going to happen, is to engage in seeing things through the lens of the saint. All creation is groaning and waiting for the new earth to be revealed to be revealed in us, to be revealed as we more and more see 
this Christ who appears to save the world drenched in his own blood because he was unwilling to conquer. He was unwilling to accept the idea that we all too often have been fed, that you can somehow achieve peace through war, that somehow that the ends justify the means. But what this, these passages this morning tell me and what the lives of the saints tell me and the life of Christ tells me is that I want you to hear me on this, that the ends and the means must include the same ingredients, that the means must include what you want to see in the ends. The ends cannot justify the means unless the means are peace and the ends are also peace. And so our task as saints as we end this sermon is to figure out what does that mean in our lives? What does it mean not to buy into just the worship of the love of power, but instead to embrace the power of love? And as we come to this table this morning, we are reminded with one of the symbols, one of the sacraments that Jesus left us. It was not a sword. It was not a shield, and it was not the blood of our enemies, but it was his blood for us, his body for us, that we would be able to take that idea into us and spread it out through the world, conquering through love. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you uh, for this message. Thank you that you call us saints, the sanctified ones, the ones who join together with every tribe, tongue, and nation throughout the world to see love conquering. In the midst of what we hear all around us, give us the grace, give us the guidance to fulfill the task that we have to see something different, to see a conquering happening through love. In Jesus' name, amen.